From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm sorry, and this is Mark. Hiya, tonight it's episode 70, which means it's a classic. And so the classic that we're looking at is 2001 sci-fi Donnie Darko. Now you can have a look at this film as the original, the director's cut, and then the 20th anniversary, sorry... It is the 20th anniversary right now. And there is that version online. Uh, If you go on iTunes, Apple TV, whatever it's bloody called these days, uh, there is a 20th anniversary. I think Prime is also doing the 20th anniversary, which is some sort of mashup of the two versions. Uh, So go check it out before we get in and spoil it for you. So in this episode, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the science. We're going to look at the narrative. We're going to look at some of the film language. And of course, the most important thing is finding out what what Surrey thinks about Donnie Darko. Of course. My opinion is the only one. This film was directed and written by Richard E. Kelly. No, not Richard E. Kelly. What are you talking about? <laughs> His first name's James or something, but he goes Richard Kelly. Richard Kelly. He's a 1975 baby, so I know all about that. Ooh, he was yeah. only 26 when he made this film. I know. And also, as a little tip... He spent 1999, so it came out in 2009, he spent the whole of 1999 meeting every single producer across Hollywood who said, this is the best script of 1999, but we're not going to make it. Yeah. Everyone said no. No. In 1999, every single producer said no to him. And it was a year full of rejection. So if you're out there and you're trying to pitch a movie, just remember Richard Kelly's experience of Donnie Darko. He spent 12 months meeting every single producer in Hollywood and it they all said no. Also important, however, to to take note that it was a commercial failure in initial release. It was. But it, turn back now because yeah. it's your spoiler warning. We're going to, and <laughs> we, we don't want to spoil this movie for you. No. You've got to see this one firsthand. You'll probably come and listen to us and you're going to watch it again. Well, maybe watched it three times. It's pretty, pretty good. It's worth doing. So... Spoiler warning. Warning, warning. Warning, warning, warning. Join back in once you've had a bit of listen because we're not going to hold back. And trust me, I had a listener the other day say to me via Messenger, sorry, the technology that's out there, saying that he'd been listening to a whole bunch of episodes. He was about to watch 2001 and he hasn't seen it. He hasn't. So he's going to listen to us talk about it, but he hadn't seen it. And I messaged him back and said, no, make sure you watch it because you should just watch 2001 Space Odyssey anyway. But mm. I'm grateful that you want to listen to us. But hey, stop, listen, watch the film first because we're going to totally spoil it for so you. I think some of the films you probably can get away with just listening probably. to us. But that's a good one that you shouldn't. And this is another that you but, also should watch. And, and how are you going to know which ones? Yeah. Because you don't want to listen to us and you hear it and you go, actually, I probably would have liked to I probably watch would have liked that. it. They just ruined it. <laughs> Donnie Darko, definitely want to watch this one first. As with all of our classics. So Donnie Darko is basically about a superhero called Donnie. I always like talking about that because Gretchen says, what kind of name is that? 
It's like a superhero, Donnie Darko. Yeah, what makes you think I'm not? What makes you... That's, yeah, perfect. Uh, So Donnie uh, narrowly escapes a very bizarre accident at the start of the film, and he's quite a troubled teenager with this weird past that he's got, and he starts to get visions of a man in a large rabbit suit. I mean, who... A large man in a normal-sized rabbit suit? Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's exactly right. I did not word that properly. Uh, And then this... Small man in a large rabbit <laughs> starts to manipulate him to kind of do some weird series of crimes. This is not what the film is about. I don't know what I'm saying now. This sounds weird. Okay, what was your number one takeaway from Donnie Darko? Holy moly, my number one takeaway. Just one. <laughs> the, the one takeaway from this is that we don't necessarily all die alone. Mm, deep, deep. And so it's, it's, and if you've seen the film, because you have, because you stopped at Espoir when you went yep. back and watched it. You went and watched it. You know, Roberta Sparrow, you know, Lady Death, mm. says to him, whispers and says, all living creatures die alone. Mm. And this, of course, haunts Donnie. But one of the interpretations I get from the ending of this mm. is that he doesn't die alone. Yeah. And... Why, again, something that I've really noticed that I'll enjoy about science fiction is when it starts to touch on the cosmological notions of divinity. And that's what this film does. And it's a very complex film. And that's why I'm impressed that this 26-year-old uh, Richard Kelly came up with a script and directed this film which so subtly introduces and weaves different layers of you know, cosmological, metaphysical, psychological, mm. uh, and it's deep science. Like it's just, it's one of these films that uh, I've watched it several times, and each time, a little bit something else, you know, yeah. strikes a little note to me. Like this Definitely. time, I got the 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 not dying alone at the end, and what what that phrase actually meant. Mm. And I'll talk about that when we get into the... the I guess. That's really interesting because straight away I can kind of think, oh, but hang on, does he die? But it is a film that you can't stop watching again and again and picking up something new. Yeah, it's it's, it's wonderful. The story has it, the camera has it, the music. Like there's so many different sort of elements that then some other piece of that puzzle comes at you after watching it for the fifth time and you go, oh, I didn't even notice that. So tell me though, and this is interesting, and I'm mm. interested to see how this comes down to the, to, into our three-act structure, but is this a movie of hope, warning, or experiment? I am going to hope because Donnie Darko is an interesting narrative. The last episode we talked about being an interesting narrative of a two-act structure. Donnie is definitely a three-act structure, but we have a very unique protagonist of Donnie. Mm. Donnie is what you call an anti-hero. I don't mean, and that's why it's interesting to joke about him being a superhero. An anti-hero is kind of like a superhero. And don't get me wrong, an anti-hero doesn't mean antagonist. Yeah, they're not a villain. They're not a villain. An anti-hero is both the protagonist and the antagonist. That's the first thing to think about with anti-hero. The second thing is it means that an anti-hero tends to do some, they tend to do behaviors in a story that is quite outside the realm of maybe what we ethically 
normally do with protagonists. So they might commit crimes, for example. So Donnie burns down a house, right? Like, and they, and they do they do things that the average Joe doesn't do. But the reason why they're an antihero is they kind of have to get to a point in the story where they to basically solve the narrative, they kind of have to fight themselves. They have to kind of like, it's both the protagonist, the antagonist coming together and they have to fight themselves. And this is why, to me, when I first saw Donnie, it blew my socks away because I was like, oh, wow, this is a really cool anti-hero. We've got a teenage boy that is an anti-hero and he's thrown into this like life or death scenario and then you throw in the sci-fi elements and it's it's quite interesting so to answer your question i'm going around a really long way tonight but to answer it to me it's hope because donnie is an anti-hero and which means he has to sacrifice himself to kind of save everyone else yes now he could decide it's very it's one of these interesting things with an anti-hero as well in the way that richard e richard kelly has done this sorry is that even in the last five minutes of the film, and we have warned everyone about the spoiler, even when you get the last five minutes of the film, when I watched it this time, I really thought about it. There's that last minute. He could still decide to be selfish, and he doesn't. And there's that great moment in the bed where he like laughs to himself as the jet engine squishes him. Mm. And to me, it's like he's come so full circle that he's like resigned to give his life up for everyone else, Gretchen, his mum, his sister, um, he just totally, you know, hands all that back over. And he's happy with that. Like, he's totally resolved to the point where he's, like, laughing at the fact that he's about to be squished. And, and indeed, I do love the way that we're going along and this guy, he's, he's doing... He's, he looks like he's going on a path directly to a brick wall. That's right. Yeah, he he has a gun. Destruction. He, yeah, he, he burns in a house. He floods yeah. the school. He 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 picks up a gun. Mm. We did tell you about warnings and yeah. spoilers, just in case. We're beyond that now. It's too far gone now. <laughs> it's too late now. And so you know something bad is going to happen. Like yeah, as soon as he finds that gun, yeah, yeah, you're going okay because he's spiraling. Like he's mm. getting more crazy, basically. Yeah. Well, flooding he's, the school is almost a little bit. There's Prankish. a little bit of prankish, whereas burning the house is pretty serious. It's a bit more destructive. You know, and then getting the gun, you know, you, it's all going towards yeah, you can this see it's doomsday. heading towards some sort of doomsday. Yeah. And, and then it's like, and so, yeah, this is this whole anti-hero thing that like you're going, but how is this, how is this going to resolve? And all the way through to the end, it's, you, you start, you can start to piece together why why things had to have, mm. why this chain of causality had to occur mm. in order for this to become a heroic story. Yeah. Like you realize that these bad things were necessary yep. for the good thing. Yep. And it's great. It's great. It's such, and every, that's the thing. Each time you watch, this time I kind of, you said you watched this time, you picked up on something new, that this time I was really watching that M bit and going, yeah, he really does sacrifice himself you know like he really does and he's happy about it and he like ma he like, makes a personal choice yeah like it's such a like i think maybe i'm noting that a bit more as, as my own writing and stuff that he is making that choice because he sits there in the car and you can see the sky opening up and the you know the the portal and all that kind of stuff now he could have just gone nah i'm not going to go to it yeah. <laughs> i'm going to drive as far away as i could and he'd done all that destruction you were just talking about, but he d 
decides to, you know, surrender to it, you know, because that's his. So it's such a great example if you're a writer out there of giving your characters the choice and then them choosing that path and the outcome of it, you know, and and what the character thinks of it. In this case, Donnie is happy to surrender. So tell me about the first time you saw this movie. Ooh. Well, it came out in no, it came out in one. I think I saw it about oh three. Um, so it'd been out for a couple of years. Didn't see it at the cinemas or anything, and I was excited to see see it. I'd heard through people I knew that it was this really interesting film. Uh, again, it was sort of like part of that era. I was watching a lot of independent film. You know, that definitely was me being a wanting to be a filmmaker trying to get as deep into these independent films. Uh, I think when I saw it, it sort of won some of the festivals and things like that. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is something that, sure, had, didn't do well at the at the box office, but it, it sort of, people were talking about it. Mm. And, and it didn't disappoint. It was one of those films I remember watching and being sort of, you know, when you watch a film and you're just kind of like on the edge of your seat the whole time or you're just totally riveted, by oh, what happens next? What happens next? You know, and then and then then you watch it, and it's one of those films that the next day you're thinking about it. Yeah, you know, I think it resonates with you. That's a real cult because this is a cult movie as well. It's it became a, a cult classic. classic yeah, it's it's a cult as well, and that's one of the definitions I use for for the cult yeah. movies is it's the movie that like I watched. You watch uh, a lot of hollywood summer blockbusters which are not designed to be great cinematic masterpieces they're designed to be exciting thrilling um mm. draw cards yeah definitely events yeah they're they're not really you know you, you don't sit here and and talk much or debate debate much about them the next day you know mm. like you you don't your know, avatar is a fantastic film amazing yeah visuals beautiful um, but days later, you're not kind of debating anything in mm. it. You're just kind of going, oh, that was a really cool film. Yeah. It's kind of like a roller coaster. Yeah, it's a like, roller coaster, it, you know, like you it's know, great, you, it's fun, it's exciting, but it's I, I energy. Watched, I watched Spinal Tap. This is mm. Spinal Tap. So this is a, the mockumentary, right? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Spoiler I watched, warning. <laughs> yeah, I watched the first time and I was kind of like, oh, oh yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of amusing. Mm. Like, it, you know, I'd heard a lot of good things about it. And I, yeah. I finished watching it and going, okay. Whatever, you know, like, yeah. I wasn't really particularly struck by it. But then I, at, I remember going back to school. Uh, you know, I was watching the weekend on the Monday, mm. and you know, a friend asked, "Did you see Spinal Tap?" Yeah, and I went, "Oh yeah, I did." And then suddenly, like this little like scene popped into my head about mm. the the little person dancing around the miniature Stonehenge because they had screwed up feet and inches on the <laughs> on the specification, and. I just could not get out of my head and it was infinitely funny. And then we started bouncing these scenes mm. and lines and everything off each other. And it was just like, that's when I realized I went, that was a really good film. Mm. That was really funny. And yep. then sure enough, I watched it again later on when I was older. And it's again, noticing there's actually all these little scenes and phrases and sayings that you hear people use commonly. I mean, the whole turn it up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is from Spinal Tap. Yeah. And there's just this scene, which when you watch it, uh, but you talk about, and Donnie Dark is the same thing. You, you mm. watch it, the, I watched it the first time. Um, my wife had seen it and she said, you've got to come see this film. Mm. She wasn't my wife at the time. Um, you know, she's a keeper. <laughs> she to see Donnie Dark. Oh, that's right. So she took me along and we, we watched Donnie Dark in the cinema. It was the 2004 director's cut release. Yeah. which is why we saw it in the cinema. And 
uh, it was at the Astor. It wasn't like at a mainstream cinema, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we went and watched it. And I remember getting to the end of it and I, and I felt turbulent inside. I wasn't mm. sure how I felt about the film. Yeah, like, yeah. Like the music in it really captured me. And there were certain scenes and stuff that just made me feel... I don't know, like a teenager, there was this, I don't know, there's just this feeling to it that made yeah. me really resonate. And I got to, and I really didn't, I just kind of didn't know much about it. And again, likewise, a couple of days later, a few days later, mm. my wife and I sort of talked about it and suddenly parts of the film yeah. seemed to like leap out at me. Yeah, and yeah. then we talked more and more and more. And then I realized that was a really good film. Yeah, yeah. And that I think is, that's the cult one. So you yeah. know you've seen a cult film when... After you finish watching it, you might be a little bit ambivalent, unsure. You know it affected you, but yeah, you're not yeah. sure how. It's when it's the two or three days later, if you have that conversation with someone and things just leap out. Yeah. Like Princess Bride does the same thing. Mm. I watched that the first time. I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of quirky and interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then again, you have some friends at school, you know, brought up the inconceivable, you know. <laughs> it's iocane powder. And suddenly the whole sequence appears and you're just like, Holy crap, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Donnie Darko, that was my experience the first time watching it as that cult experience. Unsure, a few days later, suddenly realizing, wow, I'm going to have to watch that again. That's really good. And that that is going to be something that I think we're going to focus on some of the really main parts in the narrative, but you've brought up the interesting thing, which is the director's cut. So they brought out an original it's about an hour and 50 minutes. And then the director's cut is like two hours and 13 minutes. The director's cut has some scenes in there which explain more about the time travel. Okay, so there's some text. There's some expanded moments to do with the actual explanation of the time travel. But beyond that, and there's also a couple other scenes that are in the film. But beyond that, it's pretty much still fundamentally the same film. I think the 20th anniversary, they've kind of done a bit of another mix between all three versions, all the other two versions, sorry, and they've gotten it somewhere in between. Uh, I watched the original, as I said, and then, yeah, in about 05, I sort of got my hands on the director's cut and it was like, oh, wow. And so my experience of that was I felt the director's cut was better. Did you go and watch the original after you saw that you were you your your girlfriend took take you to the cinema experience? Great! Oh, this is a great film. Did you then sit down and watch the original? I've never watched the original. Right. Okay. Interesting. So, because so, I will say, and we had it at the Black Maria Vinegar Syndrome Night. Is that what they called? I think I'm pretty Black sure. Maria. Oh, what do they call the black black Maria? I think there's vinegar in there somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> anyway, they're a great vinegar syndrome. Yeah, they're they're a great yeah. collective that are playing that's some it, black pretty Maria collective. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And they're playing some great films here locally in Perth. We went along to a sci-fi movie, which was fabulous. We'll, we might do that as a movie in the in the coming weeks. But it was great collective. Yeah, locally to Perth. Look them up. Um, yeah, they're playing some pretty out there films, and also having Q and As and chats and. And the audience was great, wasn't it? It was like yeah, we got to audience. we got to have like you know conversations like you and I are talking right now. I sort of wish that we could have almost recorded those conversations. But yeah, so if you're in Perth, go check them out. If you're online, go check them out. The Black Maria Collective. Um, but yeah, on a on a side note, we we talked to them about Donnie Darko. I brought that up to them that night, and it was contentious. <laughs> the director's cut, and I remember the, a couple of the guys that run the Black Maria Collective saying. Yeah, but the problem with the director's cut, it's like he's like explaining too much. And I will say I made this a movie that I played to students 
and I played them the director's cut. Now, most of the time, people had not really, most of my students had never seen or heard of Donnie Darko. Uh, and that's normal because they're not filmmakers themselves. They're not in the film world. Uh, they'll, you know, they're, they they're new. They would barely born. When yeah. This is <laughs> no, no, we're talking back in like about 2010. Oh, so, okay. you know, that they were born. But again, it's a, it is an independent film. Yeah. And uh, But I remember this one group I had where three or four guys in the class were kind of into the films a lot more. And when I mentioned Donnie Darko and I said, we're going to look at the director's cut, it was the same thing. They were like, no, not the director's cut, the original. And I'm like, oh, no, the director's cut's kind of better because he, he explains more. We get to know a bit more about Roberto Sparrow. It's not so hidden. There's There's a bit more, you know, there's just a little bit more explained in it. And uh, they were very much in the essence of no don't play the director's cut he's kind of ruined it so i do want to explore to you out there if you've never seen this maybe go watch the original maybe then watch the director's cut if you really dink him watch then the 20th anniversary go have a look at all three versions yeah you can get your hands on them um i found the 20th edition is on apple and i think amazon the uh, and and the original is also on Apple, I believe, and uh, you can also probably get the director's cut a bit more in the world of DVD land. <laughs> uh, I, I got um, off Google Movies. And you got off Google Movies, yeah? Okay, yeah. there we go. And, so, and I, t- I totally get the whole director's cut contention because yeah. there's a number of movies where they've done the same thing. There's been a director's cut and some people go, like I watched the director's cut and I hadn't seen the original, I have to admit, but I appreciate you know, those, the, the pages from the book. Yeah. I don't think they revealed much at all. They were kind of using quite arcane and occult um, wording. Yeah. You know, which is what I, I think added this, this extra layer that I enjoy, mm. which is this, this brief entry from the physical into the philosophical and maybe into a little bit of the metaphysical. You know, you're sort There's of wondering this connection, this thread between reality yeah. and unreality. I can tell you, as someone that's seen both versions, in the original, it is, it's a little bit more left up to air. Like, it's a little bit more left up, as in you do feel maybe a bit more confused at the end of watching the original. That, that's the only way I'd explain it, which I could then understand audiences going, oh, that's a bit of a weird movie. Like, I don't really get it, yeah. right? Like, unless you're someone that's a bit film savvy or into sci-fi, you might literally walk away from the original and go, it's too confusing. I don't really get it. Like, was was he crazy or was it time travel, right? I think to be fair, the director's cut, and just just to clarify, it doesn't do like the whole voiceover explanation. No, no, it doesn't do that. No, so what what it does well, I think, is when you get to the book part and when Donnie's actually, like there's a scene where he talks to his teacher about it. Yes. In the director's cut, Sorry, in the original, he just talks to the teacher. In the director's cut, there's kind of the text and the teacher and the scene, you know, with the bubbles out of the chest. And when you put all three together, it kind of explains it. In the original, they kind of do do a bit of a voiceover in the climax of the film of them going, oh, the, you need a vessel and a portal. And that, you know what I mean? And that's kind of from one of those earlier scenes. And is that then needed in the climax? No, because in the director's cut, he's got those kind of little excerpts from it. Yeah. But it does cause a bit of contention like director's cuts can. So if you're out there, 
watch one of them. Let us know what you thought about it. We're sort of focusing a bit on the director's cut, but we but it does cover both bits. And uh, let us know what you th- think is the better version. Why is this film a sci-fi? Sorry, sci-fi, because you could have this as just an exploration into uh, psychosis, like yeah. uh, schizophrenia. You could. It, it has elements of that. And I liked that when I watched this the first time, you could almost imply, well, is he just a bit crazy? And the... That's kind of cool. The circular nature, though, of the um, plane engine appearing out mm. of nowhere yeah. and then the ending of it, of him being crushed by it, Yeah, that is the science fiction element, the element there which moves it from being uh, one schizophrenic talking to another, like... Mm into being no there is an, an insight here not only into human nature and you know psychology but also into the realm of what uh, in what the world is and how it operates and where satisfaction and knowledge comes from mm. uh, and that's what makes this science fiction because it's not a magical element here no there's the description and the explanation is one based in possible reality. Yeah. And if you took it out, it would just be a psychological film. Yeah. A coming of age. Uh, a, Definitely. A sad coming of age film about a boy who loses his girlfriend and then grieves in ways that he can't understand. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which would kind of make a good film as well in itself, but it wouldn't be science fiction. So, But this one is definitely science fiction. Yeah, I liked that. I liked that. I remember watching it when I watched it the first time. It got a bit confused. I was a bit confused. I'm like, but if the mother and the daughter are on the plane at the e- at the end of the first version, then the engine always comes from that plane. Does that mean that they they would have died? But then the engine comes back and squishes him. But then he's not squished. So therefore. Yeah, I don't know. Does he? Yeah, so you know en- what I mean? Like it's the engine, chicken and egg thing. <laughs> the engine is coming from the tangent universe, the universe that, as it turns out, never happened. Yeah. So, well, it happened, but no, it, it just ha- stayed as a drifting tangent, not as a yeah. collapsing tangent. That's right. Which would have destroyed everything. Yeah. Which in itself, and this is what I, I love, as I said, you watch these movies and you get these extra bits because you're going, referring to this tangent universe and the end of the world everything collapsing, you can look at it just from the point of view of Donnie Darko where he finally finds someone that he has a relationship with and a connection with mm. who then dies senselessly. Yeah. And then also his mother and sister with whom he has a, an odd relationship also die. Like, that's the end of his world. Yeah. And yet... Yeah, and this is what I, I, I really like. And so now we're going, no, now he wakes up as if it's just in this dream as he realizes that if he survives tonight... Yeah, all of them will his, die. His world will end. Yeah. Or, you know, the book kind of indicates that a black hole will basically swallow up the earth. Yeah. But or is, if is he... that's, just a, that's just an analog yeah. you know, to what he's feeling mm. as a teenager if everything gets stripped from you like that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just, and this is this is one of those things in this movie that I love. Yeah. That just, you, you more you look into this, you sort of you can see different Angles ways of, it, yeah. of of reading it. And yeah. It's, it's and that's why you got to watch it a couple of different times because mm. then you'll pick up on 
Yeah, because people are saying things earlier on, like what are they called? The enlightened, no, the the uh, manipulated dead or whatever, yeah. is, uh, are acting as guides. And so there's things that people sort of say which almost drive Donnie Darko to do things. Yeah, like sell a door. Are required. Yeah, yeah. it's just, um, it's it's great. So tell me though, what science fiction part did you like about this? Uh, I liked the blobby things out of the chest. I yes. thought that was a cool way of explaining. Uh, well, you know, I mean, again, this what we're talking about here is when you start di- diving deep into the film, and he Donnie even raises this question to I think is it to the psychologist or is it the the science, the science teacher, teacher science teacher where he sort of says if you if this blobby thing comes out of your chest and you follow it. We can't see it, but it's like, isn't that suggesting that it's you're already predetermined? It's that old debate, isn't yeah. it? It's like if God has already made the, all the decisions, well, then we're just kind of puppets. Following our track. Following the track. We're trains, right? Trains on the track. Where, and we don't actually have a say, so therefore why do we go through all this, like, pain then? Yeah, well, what's with all what's the bullshit? What's with all the bullshit? Like, if we're just on the track, well, then let go. Some people might even debate, well, you are on the track, just let go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right? Uh, the pain is just your mental argument, your monkey mind kind of thing, which, again, is this is the thing. You start thinking about this film, it goes, you go off. Uh, so the chest bubbly thing, I liked that as a visual element of, hey, yeah, where we're fate is, is fate decided? Or not, because then, of course, for Donnie, he he follows that path, follows it up, and he gets the gun. Mm. He goes to the fridge. Frank was here, but then also deciding, no, that's not what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. So he kind of then breaks it. He does. He and he, in order for him to, uh, it's one of these fun things. He he ends his fate. By meeting his fate, yeah, it's like <laughs> so, because yeah. he he looks into Joni's gut worm, <laughs> if we call it that, and sees the end of her journey. Yeah, is the portal. Yeah, and then he that's that's that. Uh, look, let's let's get into that I in Act Three because yeah, this is we just, will. That's just pretty amazing sort of stuff so just we'll deviate to it just for a minute any art art creativity sci-fi stuff that you're doing at the moment at the moment i'm writing some draft blogs for our website yeah excellent we talk about a lot of stuff here and we're using terminology you know we're talking about mm-hmm. our definitions of science fiction mm-hmm. we're talking about joy watching yeah we're talking about classics like what yeah, yeah. makes a film classic why would we classify it as a classic mm. so i'm sort of i'm writing some drafts up on these so i'm hoping to get a bit of this sort of context up there so if people are, are more interested in and don't want to listen to 70 episodes of backstory to to hear and <laughs> build this sort of stuff up then there's sort of a, a shortcut way in there excellent uh, yeah that's that's like because i started a new job recently mm. so my time has sort of been altered yes spent more time sitting on a train yeah me too right <laughs> and less time with time in the mornings and things to to do other sort of stuff but yeah um yeah, I mean that's pretty good. pretty much it. How about yourself? I had Harold the Plumber short film, little cast crew party. It was a bit of a thank you chance, the chance to thank them. Uh, we had a little sneak preview of the film, not a premiere because obviously now it's going to go out onto the film festivals. But yeah, I had an opportunity to play it to them and yeah, say thank you for 
what they did to make the film become a reality. So put on a bit of food, a little bit of champagne, uh, had a red carpet photography experience for them. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was great to sort of have that as a closure because now it's like, okay, now it's going to go on the film festival for 12 months. You can move on to the next project, which the next project for me is the Space Brains Film Festival. When is that happening? Oh, May 22, <laughs> 22. 20, May 21, 2022. Oh, my God. There's so many twos in there. We didn't think of that when we chose Towards that date. Towards the end of May, you'll be seeing. Yeah. If you if you follow us on some of our socials, you will be getting reminders of that. Constant reminders. And we just we'll had the it. regular deadline. If you're someone that's uh, actually a filmmaker, you've still got chance to make a film. There's still a good couple more months before the closure date but um yeah we had the regular deadline so now we're on the extended deadline (laughs) we're on the home stretch stretch, so to speak we have had quite a few entries but please don't let that deter you if you are a sci-fi filmmaker enter your film get it out there you know if you need to make something make it uh and of course communicate with us if you've got any questions about what is sci-fi? That is the common question I do get, sorry, yeah. from some filmmakers and friends of filmmakers saying, oh, what if it's a sci-fi and a comedy? Is that a sci-fi? Yeah, because I suppose some people might think, oh, you, you mean it's got to be in space yeah, and like, action yeah. thing? I was like, no. I mean, Donnie Darko, for example, yeah. definitely science fiction, yeah. totally a psychological drama. Mm, yeah, so that's a perfect example. All right, so let's get stuck into the film. So we're going to talk about the plot. We're going to talk about some of the techniques as we go throughout things like symbolism, narrative, camera, lighting, sound, editing, genre, social commentary, themes and messages, stuff that we've been already touching on, but we will expand a bit more on that. This was directed by Richard Kelly, as you mentioned. It did launch Jake Gyllenhaal uh, career. It totally expanded him. He was a blockbuster superstar after this film. Oh, yeah, this this was his uh, stepping off point. And apparently recently he's broken Taylor Swift's heart or something. I don't know. Someone at work was haven't telling me all, all that. Haven't we all? I didn't even know they were together. But anyway, she's apparently made her first little short film, so I might have to check that out about the breakup that he's done to her. I don't know what yeah. that means. <laughs> yeah, um, my, wife, my wife watched it and she said she regrets it because she liked Jakey. And now she's like, oh, but he was not very nice to Taylor. Oh, right. Okay. I might have to I check it out. I can't help but think that Taylor Swift needs to spend a bit of time analyzing the people she chooses to have relationships with. Because well, maybe. her selection criteria seems to be missing some vital key. <laughs> and it's it's not an uncommon feature in, in uh, the relationships we choose. Sometimes we, we choose relationships but- with people based on ah. um, what we think issues, we need. Issues, issues. Think we need, but not what we actually need. Okay. And trying to find that is, I suppose, the fun of having relationships. So tune in next week for Space Brain's therapy session. Therapy uh, session. Sorry, will be taking us through what has gone wrong with every single relationship that Mark has ever had. Well, the problem is you didn't use <laughs> mathematics to, to solve ah, for the right. ideal partner. I was too much on the heart. Sorry, too much on yeah. the heart. There is an equation. <laughs> like Taylor Swift, it's all about the heart. It's a series of equations that you can perform, which will tell you, anyway. Tell you that Jake Gyllenhaal's not the one for Taylor Swift. No. Uh, and look, uh, he also got his sister the role by just literally saying, why don't you cast my sister? As my And sister. it's a low budget. 
films where they probably went, sure. So I just want to give a there's, – there's a whole bunch of actors here. You'll know some of them. A lot of them have done different – like I've because I've watched Donnie Darko a lot, I've noticed these actors. You know, they're yes. not superstars, but they're in a whole bunch of stuff. Like um, Drew Barrymore? Drew ba- I mean, Drew Barrymore is a, a superstar. superstar. She's a superstar. She looks exactly the same now. She never changes. As she did then. No, it's incredible, eh? It's a chubby little cheekies. I love them. She's so gorgeous. Uh, And, of course, the late Patrick Swayze plays the dodgy guy in this, Jim Cunningham. Don't you love that name? Jim Cunningham. Uh, He's cunning. I do like Patrick Swayze. He's great. And he's great. He's a great actor. Um, And, damn it, I should have looked it up. The teacher, which I don't think I put her down there, actually. You know the teacher, like the one that's all into Jim Cunningham? She's been in so much stuff, including like How I Met Your Mother. She's like Ted Mosby's mum. But she's been in so much stuff. Like she's a great... And she really is in this role like so well done. And Seth Rogen's in it, right? Yeah, I know. I only picked that up this time as well. Yeah, I, I noticed that the last time I watched this was about six years ago. I was like, Seth Rogen? What? Like yeah, I didn't. I never. I never picked it up before, um, and of course, uh, yeah. So so it's like an interesting one. We'll say, like I said before, Richard Kelly spent a whole year oh, pitching pitching this to all sorts of people. I'm just not Martin Scorsese, but Coppola, Coppola, Franco even said to him. He read the script and then he quoted it back to him and said, you've got a freaking script here. You've got but a great But no one here. is going to make this. Everyone knows that Frank Coppola talks. It's too complicated. It's too complicated. But what started to happen was Ben Stiller was going to play Donnie Darko. Vin, oh, Vin Diesel was going to play Donnie Darko. Oh. Uh, and these all these guys were like, you know, penciled in and then they said no. Uh, Mark Wahlberg wanted to be Donnie Darko, but he wanted him to have a lisp. Uh, Vince Vaughn said, sure, but I'm too old. That's probably true. In 2001, right? Like, But it is true. But all those guys are too old. Yeah, no, Even yeah. in 2001, they're all too old. And, uh, and Jake was kind of just kind of cracking the market, so to speak. People were really interested in working with Jake for whatever reason, even though he hadn't really done much. Um, but he must have been just one of those Well, you know, it's his eyes stars. and his smile. Yeah. It, 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 yeah and uh, anyway, he, he was keen to do it if um, – oh, no, but sorry, I just want to backtrack to that. Vince Vaughn was interested, which actually made Drew Barrymore in, interested, and she signed on to – be in the film yeah. and then when no one else was funding it she was like oh my flower films could fund this for like 4.5 million dollars i would be willing to fund it so why not you know and because so so isn't that interesting what i always take from that it's like you need sometimes you just need someone to say sort of yes vince vaughn and that name on the bit of paper gets someone else drew barrymore interested well that's and then the money gets shelved up and then vince vaughn goes actually i can't do it and he walks away but it's too late now because the money's kind of up on the table well that's it's really interesting isn't it how uh stop or my mum will shoot <laughs> was made because the script Ooh. was presented to arnie and yeah. arnie went this is a dreadful film <laughs> but you know what well, i don't know is it a dreadful i'm going to tell stallone that I'm going to do it. It's a good film. And so he says, I'm going to do it. 
And then Stallone, of course, hears that and gets gets offered the script and says, "No, I'm doing it first. I'm doing it." And then Arnie says, "You know, obviously he does the film." And, and Stallone goes, "That film didn't suit me," <laughs> which is more to the point. Like a different actor probably could have pulled it off, pulled it off more. better, but it wasn't really a vehicle suitable for, for Stallone. Stallone. Yeah, yeah. And then Arnie laughed at him. Apparently. <laughs> <And> said, <laughs> uh, Saga, I knew you would do that. <laughs> you shouldn't have made that film. And yeah. there we go, some sorry Arnie impressions. It's not an Arnie film tonight. That was There's Stallone. Plenty. Was that Stallone? No, that was Arnie. I'm, I'm confused. Uh, it had a budget of six mil. Now, the box office doesn't do this justice because basically it made seven mil, but, and, and it was actually quite a, considered quite a flop. Even though when you look at that, you're like, well, it made its money back, which it did at the theatrical. It also had a lot of success at the film festival circuit. I think uh, Toronto Film Festival gave it like, you know, the best film award. Um, it, it gathered some traction critically. And this is what this film did, what Sari was even explaining before of his experience that watching it and walking away, talking about it, that's what started to happen with this film. So... Budget-wise, box office-wise, didn't do much. But three years later, it's generated enough, uh, you know, critical success. DVD sales. DVD sales that then the studio is actually turned around and going, oh, hang on, this has really got, you know, this is a hot movie. People are talking about it. People are interested in it. Do it, you know, we're willing to pay for a director's cut version. And so then they did that and they put that out. And like you, you went and saw it. At a, like they must have done a theatrical release. Uh, probably think, very limited, but again, you know, a theatrical release of the director's cut. It is renowned as being uh, just about the, I think it's the only flop, box office flop that got a director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just, yeah. Yeah, because DVD sounds very strong. Word of mouth. I had heard about it when my wife, uh, then girlfriend, mentioned that we should go see it i had heard about it like and i i'm computer program i wasn't at all seeking out or interested in indie you know indie films or yeah. unusual stuff mm. but even i had heard about it and heard good, good word about yeah, it yeah. I, it's just it never occurred to me that it would be a film that i'd be interested in mm. um you know <laughs> the things we do for girls we do we rock up to weird independent films. She says, come along, you've got to see it. I won't take no for an answer. I went, oh, okay. I wasn't going to say no, but sure, okay. <laughs> I, the way you've just described that, I would, have, I would have just been standing there with two movie tickets and a bag of popcorn probably. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, sure. Whatever you say. Uh, yeah, so let's break down um, maybe why that became such a cult classic through looking at the narrative. We normally talk about a three-act structure. This film definitely has a nice three-act structure to it. But as I said, the point of difference for this film, and we have not had an anti-hero film on Space Brains. No. We've had very, many, many normal sort of protagonist films. So this is definitely what you would call an anti-hero, uh, which makes it interesting because to me, an anti-hero story, like I said before, is basically your protagonist and antagonist are the same person and they kind of got to debate themselves. And at the same time, they also tend to be quite an unethical or they're breaking the morals down. Another really classic anti-hero course is Dexter. Uh, if you've ever seen that, I don't want to kind of give spoilers, but the book or the the TV series that was around for a while then, I think now they're remaking and, or whatever. And let's face it, like, some, of the, some of the Batman takes are a bit that way. Yeah, where, yeah. I mean, Batman is bashing, you know, he's beaten up 
people. Yeah, or but his the, own desires. The trick in Batman is that there is always a villain that's kind of worse than Batman. Yeah, he d- he does right? always have the, the villain. Yet, and like. and what I picked up actually this time, sorry, was like I feel like Donnie is an antihero. There is no villain. There is no actual villain. But did you notice, like you know, we say save the cat, like the hero yeah. saves the cat. Did you know? Did you? Do you, do you think you could pick out his ongoing save the cat? Shut up. Yes. Because Shut what it, up. because when I watched this previously, I never really picked up on it maybe as much, but this viewing I was like he's so nice to her actually. Like he really is continuously like he doesn't bully her. He bullies his sister. Right, but he doesn't. You, you're kind of contractually required to do. Brothers that, right? do that, right? <laughs> brothers, siblings, like his sister, they all bully each other, right? But he doesn't actually bully her when the, his mates are really terrible to her. And he even asks them to lay off. Yeah, he even like you know. So he he's that. Um, he's also smart in that he he says things to people like the teacher. He's quite. He comes across very rational. That's another thing. Whereas then the teachers are quite emotional. Yes. So again, as an audience, you're kind of like, oh, the world he is in is kind of complicated. Which then on another level, it's like, yeah, that's what it's like when you're a high school kid. The teachers are wankers. Yes, they so just are. Like when crazy. you start, they know nothing. Because even the science teacher, like he has that good conversation to him, and then he like gets to he goes, I can't say anymore because I lose my job. And you're like, that's what they say. They say shit like that to teenagers. I, I saw that scene and I always went, well, not in Australia, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. But they do say that kind of shit. You know, it's like, and did you notice Drew Barrymore when she, when Gretchen first walks? I mean, she's so nasty to Gretchen. Can you imagine a teacher saying to a girl, sit next to the boy you think is the cutest? It's a bit rough. Right? But teachers do do that, you know? And that's the thing. Like, I, I never did stuff like that, but you can, you, I always thought that's what, te- you know, teachers do do that shit. You know, and even the principal was like, you know, when he gets in trouble, he's like, let me just preface this, Donnie, by saying your Iowa scores are, <sighs> you're going to be like the top student, right? Like you're, you're going to be the top one, but kind of have to get you in trouble here, you know, like, and, and that's why it's, it's this hypocrisy of yeah. society to teenagers, isn't it? You know, Love uh. it. so let's, let's do this. <laughs> anyway, three acts. this is what this film does. Cause it just sends you on tangents. It does. It honestly does. So yeah, tangent universes, which will yeah. collapse. Uh, okay, so we do have three acts, and uh, I maybe just do it quickly. Sorry, the, the quick three acts. The first one, we're going to see some sort of a, a setup. We're going to have it end off uh, with a catalyst, some sort of an event, which actually drives the story forward. Mm. It, it's what makes you know what this story is going to be about. Yeah, even if it's not what the movie is about, but it, it will, it will put in your mind a question that requires an answer. Yes, and. This is when you come across like a movie at about hour into it, you know, Superman vs. Batman, where you think, what what is the point of this? Like there yeah. hasn't been, I haven't got anything in my mind telling me yet what this is about. Well, I'll give you a quick quick one. We watched War of the Roses. War of the Roses. Okay. 80s film, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner. It's kind of the... The third film out of the the success of Romance in the Stone, and we watched all three. Right, we yeah. did, we did this a couple of weeks ago. We watched all three. The first one, Romance in the Stones, brilliant film. I reckon it's really fun. Great. The next, the sequel is a bit pushing you know strings. War of the Roses is not technically a sequel. It's a different type of story. But I will say, you get to an hour in the film before the war happens, 
And we basically turned it off because then it was just kind of didn't even feel very funny. And I don't know if it's like there's too much time that's passed that movie, but like you're saying, Batman versus Superman, it's taken too long to get to basically the inciting incident of the yeah, film. To get to that point, like, you've got to have you've got to have that feeling fairly early on. Yeah. Even if it's the wrong answer, the wrong one. Yeah, that's right. You've got to have that feeling that, ah, this is the story. Yeah. And in this one here, so Act 1 finishes with that. Act 2 starts with the protagonist, or and antagonist in this case, choosing to follow that story. Mm. Like they, they've, they're swept into it. Yeah. Act 2, they, they do what you're going to expect from that. Explore that, it? yeah. It's going to explore that a bit. Partway through um, Act 2, halfway through the movie, that's where you're going to get, like there's going to be a, a twist or a turn. It's mm. going to be... Yeah, we've we've sort of gone as far as we're going to go like this. Now stuff's going to change. Yeah. Often it's goes bad. Hmm. Like the, the the classic case is it goes bad. In horror films, sometimes it actually starts getting good. Like you know, depending yeah. on on your theme and your mode, yeah, you know, your your whatever. But usually it goes bad, and this hmm. is and this is where the midpoint it goes bad, and you start exploring some of the darker aspects of which come that come out of. Yeah everything that's come before the consequences of the character's decisions to kind of play out that world now need to happen. So if it is, you know, if it is like, Oh, I just got a new job. The consequences of that new job are now maybe negative. And so we see those negative scenes in Donnie Darko, like he's following Frank's uh, messages, so those the the kind of scenes are getting bleaker and bleaker. Yeah, he's so kind of heading to a destructive with, with, point. Yeah, if if you were to chart it on yeah. a bit of paper and extrapolate the line out, it mm. will hit the bottom. Yeah, and and usually what will happen is they won't they'll they'll bounce off the bottom. Yeah, and go into Act Three. Yeah, so Act Three because if if they didn't Act Two would just kind of end with them. That would be the end of the story. Yeah, like no better off, no worse off, just kind of. You know, in a bar with talking to each other, and <laughs> Bruce Will sitting there doing nothing um, while his mate fights everyone else. Yes, um, but but Act Three then starts off usually with some sort of there's a bit of inspiration, something uh, there's an aha moment for the the protagonist, mm-hmm. and they go, "Oh, I see a way out." Yeah. Often the audience doesn't get told exactly what that way out is. Mm. We have like maybe our own ideas. Yeah. And. There's sort of a plan starts enacting, it starts happening. There's a confrontation then with what is hap- what is going on. You yeah, know, we like have to know, head to that climax. The antagonist, the the, the finale with the villain. Mm. There, will, there will almost always be some sort of wrinkle here, which yeah. says, yeah, you, you thought you're going to just do it the way you're always doing it, but here's this little thing which says, nah, you mm. you can't do this as you were before. You've got to have grown. You've got yeah. to have changed. You've got to learn something. Something about what has come before has mm. to affect this point now. Yeah. And this is this is not a, a, a formula. Like yeah. so, people think, oh, it's a bit formulaic. And and some films do follow a very, you know, Disney formula. There's a lot yeah. of Disney films and Pixar films which really, you know, you lay them side by side and you go, they're basically the same film. Yeah. Characters have changed. And that's fine because it's very entertaining. But this is not a formula for how to write a movie or a story, but rather it's a formula for how to provide that build-up and then release of tension and a conclusion yeah. that satisfies, that leaves you thinking, 
I, that was a that was a, a story that came to some sort of ending, and I hmm. feel like I have experienced something. Yeah, uh, and I mean, you say formula and that, but I think I think it is important to have that structure because that's what I'm saying. Like that War of the Roses, by the time you got to the bit that is actually the story, mm. you've watched an hour, and then as an audience, we're going. We don't really want to watch anymore. Like yeah. you've you've put us like that hour could have been deleted and converted into the setup, the five minutes at the start. Yeah, so we so didn't it's not need an hour. Though. Yeah, yeah. So it's the structure. The structure does need to be there. Yes, yeah, you, the stru- you need that structure, and there are other structures which also there is work. other structures. That's but, the thing. But, but you, this one has been found to you work. Look back at some of the <laughs> oldest stories. Yeah, like even. Uh, Bible stories. You, you, the story yeah, the of thing. Moses. Yeah, yeah. Not Moses. Um, well, no, Moses is. Moses probably. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of the the Ark, Noah's Ark. Mm. You know, we have the setup where we're told about you know Noah and his righteous is the only righteous man. Yeah. And then we have a bit of a build up there where people are going, "Nah, you're crazy building this freaking Ark. What's yeah. going on?" Yeah, yeah. And then we have you know the flood. There's this Act Two happens, and then of course. It's like 30 days, 30 nights, 40 days, 40 nights, and it's looking pretty bleak. So we're getting mm. towards Act 3. Dove goes out, comes back with a branch, reaches the mountain, water recede, finale. Beautiful. Yeah. And like, also... It's, that, that's the same. That's the three-act structure. Yeah. Follows this structure. And it's a, it's a Bible story that is told and retold so many times because it has this satisfying yeah. feeling to it. Well, I was just going to say, on top of that, with that story, it works because Noah is the everyday man that then claims to have this higher power. Yes. The message from God and everyone around him goes, uh, but you're just like a farmer. You can't build a boat. You're crazy. So isn't that like the perfect example of an inciting story? Yeah, because exactly. it's like, oh, in 30 days, guys, the world's going to flood. I'm going to build a boat. And you you would turn to me, sorry, and go, you don't know how to build a boat, Mark. You're you're not you, can you don't know how to build a sandwich. Like that's right. Like and and I'm like, no, but I'm going to build this boat, right? Like, doesn't that take? And so if I'm I'm literally I've been given this inciting incident in my life. God has said to me, build a boat, Mark, and save all the animals, right? And don't worry about Surrey and all those other naysayers. Well, I'm wicked, so right? Yeah, no, but it'd be like that. no, but they weren't all wicked. They were just town folk right around him going but so he's trying to convince people to support him like come the world's gonna flood and everyone's like no you're crazy man like you're crazy and you don't know how to build a boat you're normally like a shepherd and he's like yeah but i'm building a boat like i'm gonna build a boat and like you're gonna build a boat for all the animals of the world that doesn't make any sense right and it still doesn't make any sense but that's exactly what like it's the same with donnie like donnie You've shown that the world is going to end in 30 days. Okay, well, let's, let's hit right? Act 1 then. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but it's the same concept, right? Like, you, you imagine exactly. if you said... And as a... I know if you, Noah is, is ancient. Yeah. But it follows this structure. Follows the structure. And the reason it's remembered is because it follows this structure. So, so this, isn't oh. this is not something that Hollywood has invented. No. It's something that has been refined and mm. distilled. Yeah. Particularly by Pixar. Pixar movies are fantastic for this. <laughs> yeah, you watch, I mean, you watch them, Toy Story is brilliant. And when you get to the end of it, you, you just always go, that was a really fun movie to watch. It was yeah. so satisfying. And of course, when you, you break down all the plot points and lay all the Pixar movies side by side, you realize that they, they very strongly follow this. They do. They, they, don't, they don't vary from it at yeah. all. 
but they, and they do it really well. But it, it works so yeah. well. It works, and they do it well because they have those exact moments in it. So on October second, nineteen eighty-eight, in a small town of Middlesex, Virginia, intellectual but troubled teenager Donald J. Donny Darko has been experiencing bouts of sleepwalking and wakes up on the road before cycling home. Yeah, so the opening image here is it shows this town and it shows what I like in this opening image is we see the mountains with all the trees. It almost looks prehistoric. It does. Like you can't see the town. No. And he's he gets up off the ground, has a bit of a chuckle. Mm, again. Yeah, gets on his, his bike and heads on into town like as if nothing's happened and we get this whole and then passing through town as he cross over the, you know, it's clearly mm. a small town yep uh, very suburban and a little bit regional right like a bit yeah, rural yep and and he he rides in and so this is establishing here that we do have this character mm. and i think it was important that he have a little chuckle yeah if it I is if they're rather than being distressed yeah he just it's like he's sort of gone huh that's an interesting one. Yeah, which again is one of the reasons why you said that a couple of days later you can be thinking about this film and going, hang on a minute, at the start he wakes up and chuckles. Yeah, like why is it... Why, is, does does he that mean something? he already know at that point? Yeah. I, I know, like, <laughs> like that's the thing. Like this film is deep, man. It's deep. It's, it's very good. So that's the, that's the very opening image and we meet all of the main characters. We do. We have this great sort of like... Montage. One thing I want to touch on is uh, throughout this whole film, there is songs that totally correlate. Mm. They're very sort of, they're not always, but they're very much lyrically songs that relate to the scene. So at the start, there's a song, I don't know the name of it, but it hit, the song is talking about fate. Oh, it's well, following think, the fate. So there are two songs. So the yeah. first one is in the non-director's cut, which is Echo and the Bunnyman. Yes. Which I I don't know that song because I've never watched this film. Hmm. The second version, which is in excess. In excess, yeah. Um, love. Uh, is it love? Ask me what you know is true. Yeah. I want to tell you I love your first heart. I can't win. Yeah. <laughs> never tear us apart. Never I, tear I've got to sing it through to get to the thing. Yeah, never tear us apart. So so the, that's the thing. But both of those songs, I think, are about someone's fate really yes if well, we could live for a thousand years yeah. but if i heard you make wine from mm. the tears, i know it's you know, confusing like, which is foreshadowing i think that song is is kind of foreshadowing but it also talks about like his family unit like yeah and it's a weird family unit isn't it because it is we see his little sister bouncing on the trampoline and like the husband and, husband and wife have this weird relationship in fact his dad is very strange yeah, it's kind of good, but again, this film has so many, I think, I feel like the relationships in this film, like as I said, the teachers kind of seem like real teachers mm. in the way that they talk to the students. The students being frustrated and they're being forced this stuff, very much what it's like when you're a high school teenager. The way that him and Gretchen's relationship is, is very much what a teenage relationship is like. Um the way they talk to each other. We've been going together for two weeks now. Yeah. Why haven't we like, and he's like all, kissed? <laughs> and, and then he stops and realizes he doesn't really know where he's going. Like, with yeah. This. What, what do we do now? Right. And she goes, Oh, you want to kiss? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what I want. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Oh, but he, but his dad though, there's that moment 
Oh, look, yeah, we're sort of jumping everywhere with this we film. Are. It's a classic. It's what we do. But his dad is sitting there having a, a beer and Donnie's sitting out in the lunch thing and Donnie says, Don't, Donnie asks his dad, am, am I just crazy? And his dad goes, no, I used to be crazy. <laughs> and then he just goes on with something else. And then you go, whoa, how old? Like he says it in a way that's like, yeah, I used to be crazy. Yeah. And then he just continues on with... with nothing to do with that and you never hear anything that again yeah except you but the way his dad has behaved throughout it's odd yeah but is i think that's especially now that i'm a parent as well like even this scene at the start where the kids start arguing and like you're a fuck ass and like the kid, and then the little kid says fuck ass and the dad just packs it like you know he starts laughing over yeah. that like that's that happens in my house over dinner you know like someone says something that's so inappropriate but again, it's funny because it's coming from this little kid. And also later when the dad, like when the kid, sorry, when they are called in because he's argued against that teacher, the dad's like, yeah, I get that the system has sort of told you that you can't say that to a teacher, but really, you know, you were kind of provoked. Yeah. You know? And again, and so it's like, again, and then, and then it, but then when he's going to therapy, he sort of says to him, you tell the therapist everything. You just tell them everything. You know, like, like the dad's a really good dad in this, mm. I reckon. Like, it's a really good dad. That is a really good dad role model, I reckon. That's yes. what I've always strived to be. The dad in Donnie Duck. <laughs> That's my parenting role uh, model. Did you used model. to be crazy? Yeah. Still am. Still am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, That's so, the only problem with the dad. He's so not what, crazy. though, then, is the inciting sense? So we've got this opening image well, well sorry, family. I just want to touch on one tiny little technical thing really quickly is that in that montage, and this happens numerous times in the films, you'll notice, because it's unusual, the film speed goes fast and slow. Oh, yes. Right? And he does this throughout. Now, I think symbolically that's a strong connection with playing with time. I, so, I, think, I think also, and this is what I mentioned to my wife uh, the other night when I was watching this with her, because she, she'd been asking us to do this episode as well. So. Right. Or watched it with her is during those those musical bits. It really that was how I felt as a teenager. Yeah, you almost have a soundtrack playing. You do. You, you're <laughs> almost kind of thinking, even when you're not listening to to earphones or buds or whatever the thing is. Whatever the kids, kids are doing. Do. <laughs> even when you're not listening to music, Walkmans. There's like like I remember going to high school, and there's kind of a soundtrack there is, with isn't it. Isn't like, there? Yeah. Know, but for me, it was it was like. Freaking um, heavy metal, grunge, and so, so it would have been like smells like Teen Spirit, Pantera and, behind uh, the uh, you know, Offspring, and yeah. a few of these these other ones, some Pearl Jam in there. Like, but you get that same uh, in my memories. It's like some parts of of high school were really slow and drawn out. Like yeah. it felt like they lasted forever, and there were others which were whole like you know six month periods which. Flash. Who knows what happened? I don't know what. And I mean. he does that. Like this is the thing in this. In and we will quickly jump from this. But it's like that opening scene where we meet all the family. There's this montage, basically. So it is a montage. But what I wanted to touch on was speeding up the camera, mm. slowing down the camera, having the sound tracked over the top, so it's not really the sound effects. That speeding up, slowing down is weird. And I think there's a connection to time travel. And I think it's also like you're saying, like the memory of it is a bit blurred. Yeah, And then there's moments, because this is the thing with memories, right? Like you have your memory picks moments to retain and then you retell stories over and over and you're, you're doing that consciously. But there's also memories that are retained, maybe the birth of your child or something. 
but it might be the moment that the baby, you know, pissed on the nurse. And that's the moment that your brain remembers. You don't really rem- you know that you went through the rest of it, but it's that moment that's the memory for some yeah. reason, right? And it's the same with high school, like now the age you and I are at, like you remember high school and you might really be able to go back and take yourself into social science class and the teacher being a dickhead or whatever. But realistically, it's almost like a montage, isn't it? Like there's a soundtrack, there's the moments in time. I can just imagine Surrey with the long fringe and Nirvana and I did have a coaster, coaster over the arm kind of idea. Yeah, no, I don't know if that was really exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. I what, was, I we're was talking about this is Spinal Tap again. Yeah. I was always a nerd. I was going like, I would have been caramel. My fringe is just over my eyebrows, ladies. uh, Just over the eyebrows. I'm I'm a bad boy. I'm going to Dungeons and Dragons Club (laughs) at lunchtime up in uh, the history room because I don't like hanging around outside. (laughs) I don't like the sun. The sun. (laughs) Anyway, quick, let's jump over. The inciting incident is got to be Frank waking him up, taking him out. Yeah. And then, but I think the inciting incident is the actual aeroplane engine. Yeah. I mean, the inciting incident can be a a drawn out scene. And and I think it was seeing Frank because when when you see Frank, Mm. you know you're being let in. Okay, there's something different has happened because Donnie reacts differently. Yeah. Like, we know he sleepwalks. Um, that seems to have been something that's happened to him before, and and he's found it amusing. It's kind of ah. Oh, <laughs> I suppose, you know, but do you I know mean, what? I think the inciting incident is Frank telling him that it's what is it? Twenty eight days, sixteen minutes to the end of the world. Yeah, that's the inciting yeah, incident. It is. Yeah, that 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 would be yeah the fulcrum yeah. of the inciting incident. Yeah. The, the actual scene meeting Frank yeah. and then having the uh, aeroplane drop on there. Yeah. After that, you sort of go oh. The inciting incident has happened because it, it, it gives you that question. You sort of go, oh, okay, this movie then is about what's going to happen mm. at Halloween because it's, you know, October 2, 28 yep. days. It's going to be Halloween. So something's going to happen at Halloween. We've told, uh, we don't know if it's going to happen being caused by Donnie because he's mental. Yeah. Or it's being caused by some messenger or you're yeah. like, but that's and the who question. is Frank? You know, that, that's that's now you know there's a story yeah. that's happening, and you, the rest of this movie is going to give you that answer. Mm. So, it's, and it's a great time clock, isn't it? You know, the old-fashioned time clock. And throughout here, we get scenes, uh, changes to a new scene, and it'll it'll tell you the date. Yeah, so the twenty days to go, and seventeen days, days, days to go, yeah. yeah, and so on. So it's a great insight. In. The debate then is, is that real or not? Yeah, and right. He, like he, he, he goes questions and talks to his psychologist, therapist, yeah. and talks yep. about it. Talks about it. Um, no, so, I don't think about fucking my family. That's <laughs> gross. Uh, I mean, again, it's the eighties. Christine Applegate. I mean, <laughs> he's totally right. <laughs> People and I often often say that, like you know, uh, the kids piss me off, and I say, "Oh, fuck them," and then Pip goes. I don't think about fucking my family. It's gross. <laughs> and we have a little chuckle. Um, yeah, I, and we get the second act then. So this would be... Sorry, before we jump into the second oh. act, the B story, the love story, this is Gretchen. Gretchen for she's, sure. She's a, see, uh, Blake Schneider says sometimes the B story comes in before act two and sometimes after act two. This is a good example that comes in before and we get that scene that Gretchen is in the school... 
So the debate, we have him with his mates. They're, as we said before, uh, they kind of are bullies. They're kind of wannabe tough guys. We have the Seth Rogen and his mate, which are the real bad guys, the real bullies. They seem to be overaged. They seem to be way overaged. Uh, and um, we also kind of, the debate of like, is Donnie, Donnie's a bit crazy, you know, like he is, you know, he abuses his mom, you know, he swears back at his mom, he's very angsty. Um, but like I said, the save the cat is there because he's, he doesn't bully that Charita. Charita. And it's very obvious that everyone else does, but he doesn't actually bully her. Um, so I, I kind of liked that and they kept showing us that they kept bringing that back around. So yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, then Gretchen enter, enters and, and, um, we have that scene where, <laughs> see Drew Barrymore, right? Like she's a good teacher. You can see like she's trying you know, the way she questions them, but then she's quite nasty and she, that's like a real teacher, real English teacher, right? Like well, if you were in that class, you'd be kind of, if you were Donnie and that, and that you'd be like, she's a fucking. Well, I often wonder though, if these teachers really say like, is this an unreliable narrator we're here? Mm. We're seeing this from Donnie, Donnie's point of view, because for example, same with his parents. We don't. They've got a strange relationship. You're not sure yeah. what it is. Like, is the version of the reality Donnie's version? Is this Donnie's just seeing? Oh, my parents are just like this, and the teachers like. Maybe the reality was she didn't say go sit down next to the cutest boy. Maybe she actually actually literally said if you saw a an unbiased version was, um, you know, take a seat here. Look, there's some seats near these boys. Well, yeah, and, and but then she, she there was two seats available, and she chose the one near yeah, Donnie. And, and in his mind, it's like. Oh my God! Just told her to take the seat near the cutest boy. You know, like it's sort of yeah. a. And I mean, you're you're right in that. That could have been the reality, but the story of the film is saying that this is what happened, and I think that's what what is being demonstrated from Richard Kelly is like that's what it's like when you're a teenager. Oh, it is, isn't it? Though you know, like like that idea, like. Like she walks, oh shit, they sent me to this classroom. It's the wrong classroom. The teacher goes, no, you're in the right classroom, honey. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, would a teacher really be that brutal? You know, maybe not, but maybe they would. I know teachers that were pretty bloody brutal. I'll tell you what, both as a student and a teacher. So I don't know. I don't know. That's pretty good though. It is great. I love it. Uh, and the the parents are like, the dad is unique as we've talked about and the mum just seems to be a little bit off with her wine and yeah she seems a little bit detached but then but then i also feel like it's quite a realistic mum you know like like at the, this the, i mean the brilliant thing in this is at the end when he is dead like the dad's sobbing the sister's sobbing but the mum's not she, and and i think that's relieved. a really yeah and i i think that's also but it's also very realistic like people don't necessarily just grieve out loud screaming crying you know like some people do but they might not the other way you know so anyway so anyway it's act 2 act 2 we're going to get some <laughs> we're going to get some fun and games and this is we where are. we get the real meat of donnie's relationship with frank so frank is the bunny and the bunny basically uh, shows him, you know, to go flood the school. Flood the school. And coincidentally, they'd also re- read this book, The Destructors, which destroy, yeah, that uh, Drew Barrymore's character yes. introduced. But see, and this is one of those things where you're going, like, she's the guy, she's like, she is providing an instruction manual and Frank is providing the, the means. Yes. You know, and in the end, you start seeing, okay, so the, 
if he didn't flood the school, school wouldn't have been cancelled. He wouldn't have walked home with Gretchen and no. had this relationship. Mm. Had he not, you know, had that relationship, then the whole ending of this would not have worked out. Yeah. And, you know, each of these destructive things he does is an act of creation. Yes. It creates this reality which allows for the final heroic act, if you like. But so we, we get about that. But when is the midpoint of this? So we, we said we had some fun and games where we start exploring this. You know, he starts seeing Frank and he floods the school and we get, you know, Cunningham, Patrick Swayze's character comes in and says, you know, fear, love. <laughs> And we, we don't, I don't think we've met him at this point here. He doesn't come in to do his seminar until a little bit later that, on. No, that, no the, seminar, the seminar, I think, oof, is that the midpoint? Like when it's the actual seminar? And things or start is that to go, still get, fun and games? Get a bit dark there where Donnie's got his knife tapping against the barrier. Yeah. And, and you're sort of going, okay, things are taking a bit of a I think so. I think that's, the, I think that's the fun and games. Because the flooding the school... You know, oh, and there's that, the girls go, oh, my sister said it's surrounded in feces. You know, that, that's kind of what funny. What are feces? Uh, baby mice. Baby mice, you know, like. and Oh, cute. Yeah, and they're kind of, as you like, it's developing the relationship with Gretchen. Oh, those guys will steal shit out of your bag, you know, like. Yeah. And then they're, they're with the boys, they're like grandma death, oh, Smurfette conversation. And, yes. you know, like it's kind of. It, yeah, and with Frank, it's kind of like, yeah, like flood the school, you know. I definitely think by the time we get to burning... Um, burn it down. Burn it down in the cin- the cinema and his eye, that is definitely the second act, like the yeah. third act. Like, sorry, no. The second half of the second half. Second half, like, that's past the midpoint. So maybe the stage with Jim Cunningham is the halfway point. Yeah, I, well, I reckon it probably is. He calls out the bullshit. He does because even and also because even before that, it's we've had the fear and love lifeline and debate. Uh, we've had the teachers. We've had you know Drew Barrymore kind of like debating. Again, this was save the cat. Sorry, save the cat. Save the cat. Like you know, there's that moment where the teachers go, Donnie. You know what I mean? Like he's marking his bit of paper. He's Donnie. You know, and because you do get that, you get as again as a teacher, you can have those moments where it's like, oh, this student, oh, this student here should we, be here. They should be on with somewhere else. Here know? we go. Here we. <laughs> you know, uh, we've had also like the parent teacher kind of bullshit happen with Kitty. You know, like so. The, I think so. Yeah, I think when told me to forcibly insert a book in my anus. <laughs> Yeah, so I think when Jim Cunningham gets up on stage, that is the midpoint because it's trying to be like, this is the world, this is how we, you know, this is how you should deal with the world. And, and then Donnie does his big spiel. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> yes, it's great. <laughs> and then you see, like, in that little instructional video where Jim Cunningham slaps the kid on the butt <laughs> and uh, as he goes off, yeah, I know. Watch closely. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love like, yeah, and and that cinema, like, so yeah, when you get into that then past the midpoint, that cinema scene, um, you know, him and Gretchen go, Evil Dead. Yeah, Evil you know? Dead is good. And then when he walks out, it's also the last temptation of the Christ. The last temptation of Christ. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Evil Dead, like he walks in, it's the Evil Dead, and then, you know, like they're watching, and then like Frank is like there beside them. I, I will say it's funny because I've noticed this sometimes in movies, where they do that, they're in the cinema and they play a movie. Did you notice, like, it's the beginning of the Evil Dead and yet Gretchen is, like, sound asleep. Mm. 
which I'm a bit like, so they've just walked in and she's like falling asleep. I mean, my wife falls asleep during a movie, but that's like in the first, she's falling asleep during the ads. She, she sat down <laughs> and then settled in for a sleep. That's <laughs> yeah, what she did. That's what Gretchen did, which fair enough. Uh, anyway, Frank, Frank rocks up. He says to him, you know, watch closely and oh, sorry, he takes off his mask. Yeah, that's right. Donnie says, take off the mask. Now there's a little tip that I never knew until I looked into it today. Uh, in terms of Donnie Darko, that Jake Gyllenhaal came up with the idea that Donnie, when he talks to Frank, it's like a kid talking into a blankie to their parent. Mm. And in the cinema scene in particular, it's really obvious. Like he's kind of like, he's like, what happened to your eye, Frank? <laughs> you know, like like he puts on a really weird voice and it's it's supposed to be like a kid talking through his blankie to this bunny rabbit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? It's like a, well, I do like that there is a definite like, like there's a, when he's it's in the kind bathroom, of a bit altered, isn't it? Yeah, when he's in the bathroom looking all dark and mean, and then his uh, sister disturbs him. Mm. He's like, you know, he's got his head down, he's got that weird grin on, and he's looking up through his eyebrows. He's kind of a bit like, uh. <laughs> and he says, "What are you doing, Donnie?" And suddenly, boom! He's like, "Oh, oh nothing." You know, is a very I'm just taking my meds, but. Uh, so so we get down to the end, towards the end of Act 2, where things are going a bit dark. So he's got that gun, and he's burnt down this house, and we've discovered that Cunningham is, uh, operates a child pornography distribution centre or something. And we get his mum then gets called away because um, <coughs> the coach needs to appear at the arraignment because... She's defending this guy. She's a supporter. Yeah, of like, the, okay, well, yeah. sure, if you want to do that. but uh, Well, yeah, but again, what it's saying is she's supporting her own ideals. right? And, but like, this then drags the mum and, and sister, sister away. Yeah. So if he'd not burnt that house down, mm, yeah. they wouldn't have gone, which means well, the jet they're on wouldn't have dropped its, its load. I think the sister would have gone, but the mum wouldn't have. Yes. Which meant they wouldn't have had the Halloween party yeah. to begin with. So Frank and that wouldn't have come for beer. Yeah. So you'd wipe it out. But also then the mum wants to come back on the red eye. Yes. Which is the plane that loses the engine. Right. Whereas if Kitty, the coach, had just taken the girls, they would have just gone and then come back a couple of days later. Yeah, so it would have been on a different plane. And also something I really noticed at the, in this uh, latter half of the second season scene, Season act is what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's going on there? But you know that whiteboard that's on the fridge? Mm. We never see anyone write any messages on there. No, but there's always, but there's always, always a message. Messages, like, and it's always something like, where is Donnie? Yeah. You know, um, Frank was here, mm. going to get beer, and that's all written in weird, spooky letter. And there's, there's another message on there. It's like, it's yeah. like this is sort of a, a little, almost a spiritual message board that gives direction and... and mm interest but it's really cool this end sequence because we get uh level terrace apart is the song yeah. there and then that gets changed over to being mad world yeah uh which i, I find it f- kind of funny and I, I find it kind of strange that that song <laughs> is used Pun as intended. a peaceful song for like sweet dreams on a pillow like there's this mattress out of something and there's a and they had that song slowed down but they only mm. had that funny kind of funny kind of sad but you know the, the, it's a mad world and they sort of cut out the fact that the song is you know it's the dreams in which I'm dying are the best of our hat it's mm. not a sweet dream song it's no. a dream about 
anxiety and how the world is a little bit crazy. It is. It's not the sort of thing you want to be sleeping at, but Donnie is following his it's little... It's perfect for Donnie. Donnie's following his, his chest spear, mm. which again has um, Christ illusions because Christ was evidently killed by Longinus and his spear, the mm. spear of destiny, into his chest. And that was like his fate. Like So that kind of... That's what killed Christ. Mm. On the cruise. Anyway, so I, I quite. That's another thing I picked up this, uh, this viewing here, where he's, he's talking to the science teacher, and he has he says it's like a spear in the chest. Yeah. And the science teacher's like, oh, that's a bit confronting imagery. What, what do you mean by that? Mm. And then he continues on, and you kind of go, okay, that's what he's talking about. But again, uh, it's he hits this dark point where you know that this Halloween party is going to be the wrap up something. It's going to happen. Yeah. And the music does it. It goes that all other sound effects disappear. We just get the song playing slowly as Donnie is sort of following his fate. Well, Gretchen and him have a moment. Gretchen's revealed that her mum has disappeared because of the violent stepdad. They kind of have their moment. They have sex, which is what Donnie was saying, that he just wants to have as much sex as he can before he dies. Yeah. So he kind of... So similar to me. <laughs> similar to most teenage boys, you know, like you just want to have sex. Um, again, that's why, I, I mean, this film is like puberty 101, really. Uh, and yeah, anyway, and so they have sex. And then you mentioned before him viewing her portal and seeing that it's the clouds, it's the sky yeah. opening up is obviously her end. So then that like urges him on to, Hey, we've got to like get out of here. We've got to see Roberta Sparrow because we've got to stop this. Yes. You know, Gretchen's going to, something's going to happen to Gretchen when the world ends, which he knows is now tomorrow, isn't it? Within minutes. Yeah. Within minutes. So, so they fang it off very ET style. You notice that Uh, scene. On their bikes. Like the bikes and the torches. It's, it's, it's But that's very realistic. Like when I was a teenager, I didn't get a car until I was like 20 or something. Yeah. Like all these kids with 15 year olds and 16 year olds with cars. I mean, and I mean, Donnie and that, I mean, I think they're 16. Like they're not. Oh, yeah. Really they've, car got to, age. they've got to be like sort of 16. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he drives a car later on, the thing. Like he can. Yeah, drive. but I think he just, you know, he just takes that, doesn't he? Yeah, but so, he's, done, he's, done, he's done that before, though. He must yeah. have because the first time you jump in a car, automatic or not, you can't drive. You don't like, know what you're doing. You don't, doing. <laughs> you don't <laughs> anyway. slide past. Doesn't matter. Sorry. Details. Anyway, details. See the, uh, so they do off. take off. It's a very E.T. style. They get to the the Roberta Sparrow's place uh, and then he kind of is connecting those dots. So he's like, oh, Salador, Salador. You know, Drew Barrymore wrote on the thing, Salador. And that's the thing. Throughout this whole film, there's been moments that, like the flooding and the cinema and that. It's like, are we, you know, is he being told what to do or is he deciding what to do? It's that question of yeah. fate, isn't he? So he's like, oh, Salador. So they go in looking for Roberta. They can't find her. Seth Rogen and his dodgy 20-year-old mate that shouldn't be in high school suddenly attack him, come out onto the road again, throw Gretchen down. This is his chance, you know, to actually kill Donnie, which I don't think he actually wants to kill Donnie, no, but no, he's, 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 he's just guy. like, you know, he's a tough guy. He's like, you know, finally we're having a, you know, a battle and I'm on top of you, you know, like I'm going to get you down. Um, and then you, with that, there's a car lights coming towards them. So the others kind of all take off. 
because they think it's a cop, blah, blah, blah. They sort of stand up. They're ready to go. And this car comes fanging around. And of course, Roberta Sparrow has walked out in the road, which is what she always does, and causes the car to swerve and in swerving runs over Gretchen. Oh, yeah. That would have been... That is quite unpleasant, really. She's just lying yeah. there on the ground yeah. and the car just drives totally... And Roberta just then, like, walks back in the house, which, again, implies as well, like, what did, what does Roberta Sparrow know about all the time, fate, destiny? Is that... she been waiting for that moment well, her she, whole well, life? She's she's in this time loop, too, where she yeah. goes and checks the letter. Just constantly... And in fact, Donnie sends her the letter, finally. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so the, the car screeches up and this is where... It all becomes clear to Donnie because then out pops Frank mm. with his costume on, he's holding the mask, and Donnie pulls the gun, shoots Frank in the eye mm. because we know that. And, like, that's you know, we're talking about fast moving metal through water, yeah. and then we've got a bullet going through the eye. It's kind yeah. of like that's an opening portal, but, it's, but then it's also right, like fate versus destiny versus choice, doesn't it? Like. He shot him when he was told that he, like when he was shown that he'd be shot in the eye. Yes, I know. So it's, he could have stopped that. But uh, yeah, he, he could have. But, but he, he doesn't. He didn't. And, yeah. And, and that was the point in the science teacher was saying that if you can see where it's going, then you get to choose not to. Yeah. And then Donnie's like all confused. Like, but, but what if God wants you to do that? Yeah. Or, you know, has, has made you to do that, you know. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, this this is the ending. This is the confrontation then with himself, mm. isn't it? And, and this is why it's a slightly different act three to what you're going to see in other places because yeah. he doesn't make a plan to go and rescue Morpheus, for example. And, you know, that's a really obvious, um, you know, act three finale is, yes, okay, so I'm going to need lots of guns. We're going to go in and we'll do this. Yeah, but no, that, but, no but it's the same, sorry. It is the same because in that Neo goes, we need to save Morpheus because he's more important than me. But then in being so um, saviour-like and saving Morpheus, he proves that he is actually the one, right? And it's the same here with Donnie. Donnie is like... Donnie is point... No, but Donnie is like realised he's just done the fate. So therefore, if he allows himself to, you know, like to sacrifice himself... He then, it, it's that last challenge for him, isn't he? Because that's what I mean. Like when I watched it this time, I realized that in that last moment, he could have decided, no, nah, yes. you know what? Stuff it. Gretchen can die. I'm going to go off and do my own thing for the rest of my life. Well, I was more, more pointing out that <laughs> the, yeah, you're looking for the, fa- the, the act three startup where it's like, yeah. there's my goal. He yeah. doesn't have, no, he doesn't he, have he's that. just like, uh, we've got to go. Like Frank's out there somewhere. We've got to go to Roberta and sort of like figure this out. This kind of yeah. this is not like a oh Frank. Is not, there's at, not an action plan. He's not going yeah. to the bottle shop to intercept Frank. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just and then when he gets there, that's when we realise that this is what the struggle is. Yeah, is that he just that's shot, correct. He shot Frank. He didn't have to shoot Frank, but he kind of did because of his relationship with Gretchen. Hmm. And so he shot Frank, and now he's left. Well, now what do I do? Do I follow the the inevitable and you know die? Mm. And and this is the whole what what does it mean for a teenager for the world to end? Yeah. And for him, he had found someone who cared about him. Yeah. 
and you know that had ended he just shot a guy in the head he was already <laughs> in trouble like he's going to prison like yeah. that's just what's going to happen or a mental institute or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh his his world will end yeah that will be the end of the world mm. for him like and willie he, you know as a teenager you don't recover you don't think you'll recover from mm. that um it usually turns out you do because most teenagers don't go around shooting people. Yeah, but yeah. most teenagers have at least one incident where they think, I can't recover from this. Yeah. I um, mean, like a week later, they're back at sports doing whatever, you know. But because <laughs> luckily teenagers are fairly bouncy. Um, yeah, so that's, I do like that. What is the end of the world for him? And so what are his choices there? The end of that world or travel back in time, mm. let himself get crushed, but then Gretchen's uh-huh. alive and all these other things, mm. um, and you know, does he then get to be God? Yeah, you know this, or you know, it, he's not alone in his death. Yeah, because he has he has touched all of these lives. Yeah, and he is taking that with him. Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? But I think it actually is that same. I didn't even thought of it, but it is that same. You've talked a lot about it, like get into the third act, enacting the plan. He doesn't really have the plan, and that's what I think you're saying. But then at the end of it, he that that final challenge is that well, no shit, I've just done what the fate said that yeah. I would do, right? Like I've just done maybe what God wanted me to do, but that's not what I wanted to do, which is shoot Frank. So then now, what do I do? Well, the only option I've got is I could go back in time. It's like the final act, right? It's yeah. the final leap of faith. And it's, it's got to be a, a leap of faith as well. It's a twist which challenges him to learn. Yeah. Because had he just continued the way he was heading, yeah, yeah he would have shot Frank. He, you know, he would have gone off and maybe just been upset. Yeah. Gone to prison. Gone to prison for 30 years. Yeah, because that would have... But that would be him not learning anything. Yeah. But yeah, he's come in contact with all these people and he's, he's developed mm. and grown. Yeah, and that's why, like... He's left with that choice. Yeah. And he doesn't wake up his sister. He kisses her. Yeah. You know, she's, like, passed out on the couch. He just kind of, like, gives her a kiss. Yeah. So that is him, because early... You know, in the first scene, he's arguing with her. Yeah. So he's kind of like, no, this I'm doing this to sort of... Yeah. The the, the only way out of this is if I sacrifice myself. And that that's the thing. That's the climax of this film, is him deciding to sacrifice himself, which is the ultimate protagonist antagonist. It's like pushing the antagonist off the cliff. It's it's the protagonist. He has to sacrifice himself. Drop and that off is, Nakatomi Tower. Yeah, and that is the anti-hero. Like the anti-hero has to destroy themselves. Yeah, that, that part. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And in this, he literally has to then sit there on the bed. And the reason why we know he's okay about it, he's not there sweating bullets. He's laughing. He's laughing. He's, I, he's resolved. What I love about this ending is it's easy for an ending where the hero kills themselves to be sad. Yeah. But I came out of it, and this is why with the first time I watched it, I came out of it a little bit confused because I was like, so he, he ended his life by choice, but I don't feel that was a bad choice. Mm. Like I feel it's the right choice. I feel happy. And like, and you get this little montage of how he has affected, you know, because, uh, as, as, uh, the, the time travel book sort of says that, um, when the tangent universe ends, yeah, some people will be, then the people that he's affected will, will will have some Some, lingering memory of what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you go, you go through and you see the psychiatrist, um, 
finds a bit of spirituality. Yes. Which I didn't pick up the first couple of times I watched this film, but when she says, oh, you're not an atheist, you're an agnostic, and she mm. explains what it is, she's actually talking about herself. Yes. And so when she wakes up, she gets that yeah. feeling of there is something divine. Mm. Is there, or isn't there like, where previously I think she was a little bit sort of bitter, a bit yeah. washed out of the world. Yeah. And, and of course, Charita... Smiles. It's so smiles. She yeah. goes, oh, everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. she gets that last thing. And, and of course, yeah, we, we see each of And people. Frank holds his eye. Yeah, Frank said, is like looking at his designs and so forth. Mm. And he's holding his eye and he's he's wondering. Yeah, you can imagine he's he's evaluating his life. Like mm. he's, he's got, he had some existential crisis. Yeah. And the same with Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze wakes up crying. Yeah. And it's, it's yes. You know, I don't want to say he's had like a redemption, but it's nice that he's got some sort of a punishment there where he's, his guilt, his shame, you know, mm. he's... Maybe woke, he's going to stop all that He's now. He's woken up and realized that he's actually harming people. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't made out that he was a kitty fiddler, but he was yeah. a distributor of child, child. pornography, which yeah. is pretty dastardly, really. It is. And, and you got to wonder, is, is him crying enough? But uh, maybe he can, I like to think that he hands himself in. He mm. turns himself in at that point from out of guilt. Anyway, then we get Gretchen rides along. We, we've got the big scene of them pulling off the engine out of the house. Uh, Donnie's And don't sister. the FCC guys now get reframed as men in black? They do. Which is which I sort of know at the start, but they still look a bit government-y. But yeah. in this one here... The way they're kind of, you know, they're looking around, they've got their glasses on. You're going, this is a group of men in black come to but cover you did, up. But did you notice that even when the first one, they they um, they had the guy in the space suit, you know. Yeah, hosing. You know, hosing things. It looked a bit suspicious. And then even like they come, they go, oh, we want to talk to you privately. Yes. You know, come over here, sign this agreement. So it was kind of implied a bit men in black. Mm. Conspiracy. Well, I think at the at the start that was a bit more like, uh, What's yeah, going a, on? an aeroplane that we're supposed to ensure the safety of, but we can't explain just about yep. killed your child. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, we Whereas don't really know. in the end, know. it's like, okay, this mystery jet that yeah. <laughs> you know doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, if they check the serial numbers on it, that jet still has its engine mm. and is sitting on the runway. You know, like yeah. It's, that would be a Men in Black. So moment. it's it's a nice little scene there that mm. you sort of go, oh, actually, that was the Men in Black coming in here. But basically, Gretchen rocks up uh, on her bike and there's another little kid and Donnie's being wheeled out. You know, he's deceased. The dad's upset. The sister's upset. The mum's in shock. That's the best way to put it in my work. And then Gretchen just kind of waves. Yeah. And the boy says, that, do you know, do you know, oh, you know, she, she, I think she says, "Who who's died? And he goes, oh, it's my neighbour, Donnie Darko. And she goes, oh, okay. Yeah, and they just kind of wave. No. Yeah, yeah, didn't know. So it didn't affect her. And that's just it. Roll credits, the yeah. end. Yeah. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, it's just really... I really liked the the crossing over here from, yeah, this sort of psychological teen coming of age, but then into this metaphysical reality, um, you know, fate can, you know, versus free choice. Mm. And was Donnie being led by fate or did he actually make his choice? Yeah. Choosing to follow and see where it led. Uh, and what? The music in this also, like this, the those great. music montage scenes, 
it just it really gave me that real I know whether it's a nostalgia or a, there's something about those scenes that made me feel warm and fuzzy or yeah. dreamy and kind of remembering my own teenage years. Yeah, I mean, the I Was Standing, You Were Here, the Head Over Heels montage, Love Will Tear Us Apart, The Mad World. I mean, all of those songs, mm. they're all lyrically connected to those scenes. They're all emphasised. They're very loud montage scenes. It's what I said before as well, like footage is sped up, slowed down, Things are emphasised, things are not emphasised. Uh, it's a bizarre little world he creates in those montages, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, uh, I, I think we're going to have to ask the audience to yeah. let us know their thoughts. Was this a uh, spiritual birth, death, rebirth story? Mm-hmm. Is this the story of Easter? Is this... Uh, <laughs> no. Was this um, purely and totally ruined by the director's cut? Or was it enhanced? Was Roberta Sparrow in on it? Did yeah. she have some insight? Because she wrote that book to start with. So where does she get that knowledge from? And how Well, come? yeah, I mean, did she see the future? I mean, this is what confuses me. I mean, was she walking to and from the letterbox waiting for Donnie's letter? Or did she already have a letter sent to her? Uh, it's that part I don't know, you know, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like, what? When did she see something? And was that something to do with Donnie's dad's comment about being crazy? Yeah. It did he have some memory of Roberta's tangent universe? Because Roberta wrote this book, she must have been involved in a time travel incident. Yeah. And. You know, um, Donnie's dad said, you know, they used to go up there and nick stuff, try and nick stuff. She had a big gem collection or mm. something or other. And, you know, um, so, and then he made that comment that he was crazy. Was was that kind of him, his memories of her tangent universe and that yeah. he's kind of finds unusual? It's, mm. So let us know because this movie... Um, I, I'm going to be watching it again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that can be, in fact, I'm going to hunt down the non-director's cut version. You should. And watch that. And um, I'm sure my wife and I will find more things to talk about. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can't believe that at, you know, his first feature film out of the gate, young age, 26. I mean, that's, mm. that's, that's pretty young. Yeah. And it's such a complex theme laden, but not, it's not preachy and heavy. Like, you're not sort of going, oh, get on with it. No, and I mean, there's these moments in there thematically, you know, it's like we've talked about it where, it, you know, you've got this sci-fi element, but you've it's also very much, is it Donnie's, like we were talking about before, the perception of Donnie as a teenage boy, you know, like it really captures that, um, the issue of him wanting sex, the, the, the issue of him, like, is he mentally disturbed or is he just a teenage boy? Like, I don't know, like it's bizarre, isn't it? And they, they, they talk about that. Um, then there's lots of like, you're just saying there, like as a director, there's foreshadowing. I mean, even in the dialogue about, you know, what's your name? Donnie Darko sounds like a superhero. He is the superhero at the end. He's both the hero and the antagonist. I mean, I'm I'm always like, wow, that's that's a pretty big pull off. Mm. Um, it's a lot e- easier to just have a bad guy, you know, <laughs> um, and that that's not present in this film, you know. And then to subtly have him do good things, save the cat, Sharita, 
um, have him be very logical, rational when other people are not. Like it's it's very subtle. It's very clever. Um, also, like how good is Frank? I mean, the bunny. I mean, that bunny, when you first watch it, like it's a bit freaky. Oh, it's and then you watch it again, you're kind of like, that bunny detail is awesome. And you know when they like zoom out and it's heading towards the climax, Donnie's got it. He's like drawn. I mean, it's supposed to be that Donnie has drawn him and he's got... He's got him on the calendar, a picture of Frank, and the calendar's in the picture. Yes. So it's one of those pictures of like the picture in the picture in the picture kind of thing, which again is kind of like that spiraling effect. Did you notice as well on the plane engine, there's that spiral, you know, yeah. like the hypnotic spiral. Um, yeah, the hypnosis things. The conversations in this film, the dialogue of like, that Christina Applegate thing. I mean, that's such an eighties, like oh, iconic moment, married with children, married with children. And most of the jokes I didn't care about because I'm not a middle-aged man. Who no. Feels trapped under the thumb. And I, no. I thought Peggy was kind of hot. Yeah. You know, but me too. But yeah, and as a teenager, just again, what he's got a job and a house, he's got a hot wife. He wants to have sex with him all the time. Like yeah. what the hell's wrong with this? Well, guy? That's what, yeah. And then, yeah, but... Yeah, then throwing Christine Applegate. Applegate. I'd be watching for, for, for her for a while. <laughs> and her short little dresses, right? But, like, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Um, the, the music, the soundtrack of this film is just incredible. Like, it's a really rich soundtrack. You and I were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago that it's like those films that the soundtracks themselves are their own stories, you know? Like, you could take this soundtrack and just listen to it. Like, like that's the kind uh, of soundtrack the crow, is. Actually, yeah, I mean, the crow watching Twilight, mm. the soundtrack to that is remarkably good. Okay, like, there you go. Watch it again for the soundtrack. You get just these sort of sound montage bits. Um, uh, yeah, and, and it's really good because I was in here in the studio doing stuff on the computer and I heard my wife, she, she's recently watched the Twilight film about three times now and listened to the audiobook. And so I was just hearing the soundtrack, not even hearing what's going on. Yeah. And I was thinking, I've got to go and see this. Like, what what movie is this? This is mm. really good. And I saw it was Twilight. And so I sat down and watched a couple of the, the movies with her. And yeah, I really noticed again that had that's got some scenes in it which are just the music, and again it's thematically done, and it's like sweeping mm. images, and there's visuals of werewolves running through the forest and stuff. Similar sort of, you know, obviously a little bit more mainstream, but again that strong use of soundtrack. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so let us know what you thought about the narrative and did we miss anything? It was a bit, we were a bit all over the place tonight, a bit like Donnie Darko. Oh, was, yeah. But why not? We can be a bit so, ADHD so, about so it. so much just still want to talk I know, about it. I know. You know, hey. And that's the whole point of it. So what about the classic ladder? Sorry, where would you suggest someone watches Donnie Darko in our list of classic films? For me... Yeah. I'm going to put it right in the middle on my list of classic films. I think you should watch it. Uh, I, I had it Alien and then I had Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I think if Donnie goes in between those two, to me, that would be such an interesting viewing experience. Like if tonight you watched Alien and tomorrow night you watched Donnie and the next night you watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that would be a trilogy that would just blow your mind away, I, I think. like I would like to match Donnie Darko up with Back to the Future. Yeah. Because they're both... Both in the 80s. Fate, cycling <laughs> yeah. scene, music is... He talks strongly. about Back to the Future does, in the film. <laughs> this is a nice little he nod. He mentions the DeLorean, yeah. Yeah. So because it's such a futuristic film. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think they sort of play yeah, off yeah. each other in that sense. Yeah, both uh, time travel. 
Time, time travel. They're both looping to change their fate or mm. to seal their fate. Both fate ones, yeah. Um, it's just, you know, one's a little bit darker than the other one. Yeah. But they're both very satisfying to watch. All right. Let us know what you think and where you would put it on your ladder. So what about science? What what science aspect? This film has got science, it's got religion, it's got the debate, it's got fate. You know, what do you want to focus on? Have you ever heard of... Uh, okay, well, there's a couple things here. One of them is something called... Alexithemia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that. Alexithemia. <laughs> ah, so I'm sure you've probably heard of, for example, um, face blind. People can be face blind. Yeah, like they have trouble identifying people based on facial features. Yes. Uh, and then you have quite commonly with um, the autism spectrum mm. is emotion blindness. Like yeah. That they can't yeah. read social cues from physical actions. Yeah, right. Like it's just like... Um, quite consciously able to say yes that's a frown and then they you know could probably go through frown i have learned that people say that they're feeling angry when they're frowning yeah i suppose this person must be angry yeah and this is no they're actually deep in thought Mm. it's not that sort of frown oh Mm. i got that wrong yeah oh well you know (laughs) but alexithemia is the inability to interpret and understand your own emotional physiology right Yes, so this is the case. Just sounds like every single human on this planet. No. <laughs> People can be confused about why they're feeling love mm-hmm. or why they're feeling some sort of positive pull or something. Yeah. Sometimes emotions can be confusing. But this is more the case, as this one patient describes it, as being um, he was talking with a girl that he liked mm-hmm. and his uh-huh. heart was beating fast uh-huh. and his face was flushed He's- and... He didn't know why he was he was like short of breath, and it made him angry and afraid, and he mm. ran away. Fair enough. I and would do said, that too. And after you know, he's had some therapy and things. Yeah. He's, he's realised that he says actually what what he's he's found is is a number of times you know he's had like um, butterflies in his stomach mm. when he's like meeting someone. Yeah, and he's interpreted that as being hungry. <laughs> yeah. And so rather than being nervous or something. Yeah. And yeah, like so happiness is, is misinterpreted. Depression is misinterpreted. Yeah, mm. Sadness is misinterpreted. It just, like what, mm. why, why am I so sluggish and, you know. Yeah, right. So it's, a, it's that the body is expressing the physical reactions that you'd expect, you know, of excitement or nervousness or happiness, anger, fear. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't link to the concept in his mm, mind. Yeah. And there are similar situations where uh, a person is unable to, for example, um, write, write words that they can say. Yep. In fact, I think an even better one is I can visually, you know, I can visualize a picture in my head very clearly. Yep. A lot of people can't, but I can. Yeah. And I feel like I should be able to draw it. Yeah. But it doesn't happen like yeah that happens to me it's not there it's like yeah. i try and draw it and it's just like looks like a child's scribble i just look at it and go no it's so clear in my head mm. and that lack of connection uh is the same sort of thing so they have something physically happen there that their body says this is you're meant to be feeling happy about this and that it just doesn't like their brain's going why does my tummy feel funny and like mm. this is a bit odd i'm a bit and, and usually he said it made him anxious and panicky and scared and makes him run away. Yeah, right. Or say bad, you know, you know, like angry things to people. Yeah. Because he, you know, he's actually happy to meet someone. Yeah. But the feelings of happiness 
have left him confused and he, mm. you know, fight or flight. And he goes, <laughs> fuck you. I'm leaving. And yeah. the other person's left confused going, what the hell? I thought we were having sandwiches. I, th- I thought this was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I thought we were doing a podcast. I mean, geez. Yeah, I know. It's just like, so, yeah. Oh, the poor guy's had a couple of divorces yeah. and things because he was able to fake it for a while. Yeah. Because, yeah, he would right. like someone, uh, you know, intellectually and mm. con- consciously he knew I want to be around. Play the game. And Play so he'd fake it and fake it. But then he just, after a while, he just, he just couldn't. He's yeah. just like, I just don't know what is going on here. I don't recognize the feelings in you. I, and when you talk about feeling happy about things, I don't know what that means. Mm. You know, I, I don't know. Sounds what sucky is. because they're not like getting the feelings that we all get that. Yeah. And then understanding. I mean, like, that's the thing. You can have that exact feeling butterflies and it does affect your performance of, you know, I'm going for a job interview and suddenly I'm like so nervous that then you can't put the sentence together that you'd want to put together or something, you know. And uh, even when I did the Harold the Plumber thing the other night, like because there was a lot of, uh, like it was me putting the pressure on myself of like being a bit nervous talking about it to people that maybe I'm not quite putting sentences together like, like I could if I'm just having a conversation with someone. Oh, isn't and it you, always great? You sit there and you you're write. like, oh, like, I, like I, you I could will, write the best sentence in the world. I but, write some amazing paragraphs and I read them back to myself and go, Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, if yeah. If I try to say that out loud, it's like... I know, especially on the spur of the moment, you know, you're just trying to thank someone. And then afterwards, of course, like my wife's like, you didn't do that and you didn't do that and you didn't do that. And you're like... Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Why didn't you say thank you? Oh, why didn't you say thank you to that person? Yeah, I well, should have. Well, at that launch yeah, party, anyway. she made me memorize certain people I definitely had to thank. Yeah. And so I, I was going through that list... The whole time, so I had to make sure I thanked you know you and Cherie and Jenny and you know like yeah all these like because you don't want to get to the point where you say yeah thanks everyone who's involved and it's like someone going man I did a lot yeah and I'm just everyone who's involved yeah great that's so, right but yeah. but anyway. so that's the thing like you, you you can have that but you're still you know is it just a performance thing that may be more practice and more experience and you know trying to work through it uh you would get better you know and i think most people fall into that category like if you practice all your speeches and you said it time and time again you you know like you just said in your head listed off three or four things you can achieve that right like you you still might not be eddie mcguire whatever you know great presenter person out there prime minister worthy whatever but you can definitely tick off a lot of those boxes and come across normally are, are you whereas Eddie Maguire is prime minister I don't know no. he's listing other people he could be prime minister be. right like he'd be in the same category <laughs> as our prime ministers here what, what, like, whatever that means whatever that means to anyone Rises out there sports, I don't know routine. kisses babies that kind of stuff yeah, I don't yeah. know see the courts have told him to stop doing that yeah <laughs> Yeah, all politicians should not be allowed to do that. Kiss I'm, your own baby. That's. I don't have babies anymore, but it'd be like it would, always would have been one of those interesting things if I was at a shopping center and a politician came up with the film crew oh, to look, kiss my baby. It'd be like fuck off. Paul Keating came over. I would have been like, Paul, what? I know. Well, back off there. Well, what's wrong, you thug? <laughs> <laughs> you want to fight? He was a prime minister, but you know the ones that we got these last ten years. Who knows? But anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is, no, it's more of an actual condition where he literally doesn't feel the yeah, correct I'm feeling. Try, I'm trying to remember why I went into this for this movie. 
Because yeah. what I was really looking for, and the other thing I was going to talk about... What's the connection, sorry? <laughs> the connection, this one here, oh, I can't remember. Everything connects to Donnie Duck. <laughs> well, yeah, his, his therapy sessions where he's asking about yeah. feelings and so forth. Because I, I, was, I was, was looking at this you know, theory of the um, alternative. I did not a many worlds theory of quantum, which is we've spoken about before. Mm, this yeah. is more like if you, if you play the universe backwards, back to the Big Bang but continue going backwards, you end up with a, you know, a reverse parallel universe mm. that expands out in the negative time direction. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I could, but also this film could just be that idea of a tangent. So it's like, you know, like every fork decision we make, you could, there could be just a version of that, right? Well, and yeah, then that, that, and that's, ver- and that's like, like many worlds, yeah, quantum yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and you... Yeah, you know, there's this life that you've created, but then you'd just be like, oh, I didn't catch the 705 train. I caught the 715 train, but then that 715 train, someone jumps in front of it and it falls over and we all die. But what I do like about this um, playing time backwards to the Big Bang and earlier is it introduces an interesting idea regarding matter and antimatter and, and black and dark matter. Mm. So there's uh, three neutrinos, which are all left-hand spin, as it's called. Like. Mm. Why it's left-hand, it's pretty arbitrary. But uh-huh. basically, they, they have a left-hand spin, and they don't have a symmetrical partner yes. with a right-hand spin as opposed to all the other particles around the place. Yeah, right. So they're lacking symmetry. But with this mirrored universe, mm. it allows for a sterile a neutrino, which does have the right-hand spin, uh-huh. It also allows for the other ones, but they would, by their nature, would have disappeared. We'd never see them mm. because they were lost billions of years in time. Mm. But this uh, sterile neutrino was thought to have been discovered in 2016 during a series of experiments in the Antarctic where they recorded um, as an unusual particle being emitted from the Earth, which mm. shouldn't have happened. Yeah. It happened at the 480-photon-electron uh, Volts. Mm-hmm. So what it is? Yeah, yeah. PEV, mm-hmm. which is the point that would have been predicted for this particular neutrino, which yeah. would support a parallel mirrored inverse universe of our own. Right. I thought that was pretty interesting. However, that is interesting. Uh, as the guy who wrote the paper said, he says, every cosmological theory is allowed to have one tooth fairy element <laughs> you know, where you just have like a wave of magic wand and one thing is just sort of magicked in there. Yeah. His and it, theory has about three. Yeah. So he doesn't think it's all that good. Yeah. It's a bit wobbly. But I went with the alexithymia because I thought it was a little bit more... Yeah, Donnie Duck is a psychological thing and yeah. he has trouble expressing himself. And, yeah, it sort of struck me as being very interesting. I think so. And, I mean, you could question whether this film is time travel and whether it is just psychological... Fantasy. Yeah. Well, I mean, he wakes up. He has this has a dream. massive dream of everything. You know, you know, do you remember at the start, the reason why I say this, right, is at the start, he's stopped taking his medication. Right? That's that argument around the dinner table. Yes. His sister says, oh, you've stopped, you know, dobs him in. Yes. His mum goes and sees him. He abuses, you know, he gives his mum flack. So he hasn't been taking his medication. Resentfully, 
he takes his medication and what happens, he sees Frank. Yes. So another version of this film or like a reading into this film is the fact that the medication is Frank. You know, like it is like, yeah, it's a, it's just a, an, a delusion. admitted that she'd been prescribing him yeah. placebo. That happens later, yeah. All the time. Yeah. Oh, well, let's, but anyway. before, before we continue on any further. <laughs> I know, because okay. we can go into it a whole nother way. Let's say give us go go give us a bit of a review on some of these things. It, uh, some of these hosting sites, Apple, yeah, uh, Spotify, Google, yeah. whatever, because it does allow other people to more easily find us. That's correct. And if you do like listening to some of our stuff or all mm. of it, are you everyone loves listening to all of it. I know, especially the bits where you know I I fail at talking, and you know the three and a half hour episodes the three and a half hour of marathon. <laughs> Yeah, so we're trying to keep this one down a bit, but give us a bit of a rating. Check us out on spacebrains.com.au. Definitely. On tw- well, I, uh, I don't really do Twitter. Twitter's a toxic cesspool of hate, so I don't tend to go there very much these days. <laughs> no. But get us on Instagram, Facebook, yeah. where all the old people hang out. Yeah. Um, stuff gets chucked on TikTok as well because, you know, we're newfangled. Yes. In the new year, we're probably going to have some video content of some yeah, sort. Yeah, we we're will. Not we'll sure get more exactly what that's going to be, but. There'll be more and more coming in. It'll anyway. be great. And let us know what you think definitely about this movie and about everything else. And there's one last thing we need to know is what is next episode? It's a indie European or British background okay, sci-fi yeah. film called Cosmos. Cosmos. They had a very interesting distribution way of getting this film out. These guys, they it's totally independent and a bit gorilla. A bit of an interesting marketing story to make a film, like we said to about Donnie Darko. You know, like Richard Kelly couldn't sell it to anyone. Um, this film very similar. These guys used everything in their back pocket, and they did a bit of an interesting distribution model. I can't wait to watch this film to begin with, and then also kind of delve a bit deeper into that marketing strategy. I think it's something very interesting. If you're a filmmaker, writer, it's another pathway of making a film. Yeah, and, and if you're a fan of science fiction films, it's an interesting way of finding new films. Correct, yeah. And new talents. Who yeah, not just the... Guys are going to go to That's next. right. And not just that traditional model, you know, of Hollywood films so or whatever. So it's Cosmos. I'm not sure where you're going to find it, but if you search for Cosmos... Yeah, it is available out there, isn't it? It is available. It is available. And with Christmas, of course, we are taking a bit of a break. Cosmos episode will air on the 15th of January. Until then, see ya. Bye-bye.